Welcome back to Armor. Guys, guys, it's been so long. It has. It's been so long. We took a break for the holidays because things were hectic and we were all visiting family and we figured you were too. So, you know, spend time with your family, not listening to our podcast. All five of you out there. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we have more listeners. That'll be the goal this year. More listeners. Okay. Seriously, welcome back. A lot has happened. I took a big exam. I passed. It's it's relevant to the PhD. It's, it's Congratulations. Good. Thank Anna. you, good Caroline. Thank I'm so you. happy for you. I'm pretty happy too. I feel very validated. I also realized like the the moment that I knew I was a PhD student is when Google learned, like the algorithm, my my digital world self learned that I'm a PhD student because now when I Google random health questions instead of getting like buzzfeed and dr oz articles i now get like actual scientific journal articles so validating it's super validating um caroline you got stuck in denmark briefly i did i did tell tell us about Um, that yeah um actually someone our guest can join in Uh, maybe we should introduce him yeah introduce uh, introduce your husband yeah we have a special guest today dr franson spoiler also known as my husband, Benjamin. Benjamin. Oh, ben- Benjamin. Benjamin, of course. <laughs> yeah, you call Benjamin on here. Yeah, thank um, you so much. Yeah, and we, uh, we, we moved to the States uh, last year in uh, late January and haven't been home since because of uh, COVID. And we were like, okay, um, we uh, really need to get home. Like, we need to see family and stuff. Um, and of course be safe and stuff like that and then if you're Um, gonna travel internationally during a pandemic denmark's probably the best place to go yeah i mean it was like on the height height of uh, of uh, contamination people contaminated people in denmark Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah a test was very available and it was our home so we were had easy access i feel like i feel like i need I feel like I need to interject and say that at the peak of Denmark's infection numbers, it's still lower than the U.S. numbers. Yes, (laughs) which is like an implication and undercurrent of this entire podcast is like Denmark is amazing. The United States needs to figure it out. (laughs) We have we have to we 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 could all do better. They've been doing a lot of stuff preemptively, let's say that. Mm -hmm. And we have, of course, been extremely safe when traveling, taking all the precautions Mm -hmm. and then some. Uh, So but the thing was that um we had looked at the rules for traveling uh back home and getting back to the states mm-hmm. beforehand obviously and the way that we interpreted the rules was that we could not get back into the states if we left and uh, because of the our visa and uh, nationality and stuff like that but then benjamin talked to some nice people at the university basically the people who who deals with us uh internationals uh hired people at the university know. who yeah, yeah are our advisors in most things uh, relating to you know inter- being international uh here mm-hmm. and i we were assured that we could travel on the current documents we had and and everything was good and and that they told, they told us, us like, that yeah, yeah and, and was really reassuring and i was like i was yeah. asking all the specific questions like what about this thing that i've read do we need this permission and like everything's fine you, you don't did your need homework i did all the homework because yeah. i am <laughs> i'm a bit paranoid when it comes to these things and it's not always easy as a visa person to go to the states it's um, so complicated exactly and we really like we are like all overly careful with everything mm-hmm. trying yeah. to be anyway because like i can confirm like that yeah we want to be here and <laughs> yeah yeah it's an amazing place honestly <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. we are not uh, like crossing the streets when the light is red, in <laughs> no crime, <laughs> no crime, not at all. I'll actually, <laughs> I'll actually get these really hilarious text messages from Caroline randomly. It'll be like a Thursday afternoon in the middle of summer, and she's like, "Wait, are you allowed to drink in a park here?" And I'm like, "No, you're actually not." And she's like, "Oh, I gotta go." <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that is so normal in Denmark. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like even the thought of that being uh, not allowed is uh, yeah, yeah, very foreign to me. So yeah, so, do not uh, presume anything. Sorry, so <laughs> to get back on on track, uh, what happened was then, <laughs> <laughs> what happened was then that that uh, we actually did need to get like a special exemption called a national interest exemption, and we needed yeah. to contact the embassy and apply for that before we could travel into the states on our current I, documents. I think, I think you're uh, uh, skipping a big part. What's the big part? <laughs> you, 
that uh, we went there, it went fine to get to Denmark, and then when we tried to get back home, we got through the Copenhagen airport yes, and got yeah. to Frankfurt. And uh, in Frankfurt, they were like, no, you cannot go home. You will not board this plane. To America. You will not yeah, board no, this no, plane. No, 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 no. And their yeah. reason was just that you didn't have the right visa? We have yeah, the visa. Have all the our right documents, documents yeah. So all our documents are fine. Our visa is good. Uh, the problem is you needed an extra exemption due to the coronavirus travel ban to I the see. Schengen area, and Denmark is part of the Schengen area open borders thing in the EU. So and because you know it went crazy in Italy and stuff, then uh, all the entire Schengen area was banned in June, I think. Uh, coronavirus travel ban, and only like you needed special permissions to go and. I asked about this specific special permission from the office here that deals with us and they said you're fine, you don't need it, okay, then we go. And then turns out when we suddenly are in Frankfurt on our way home to to Colorado, we just, we needed that apparently. And then they're like, you cannot go on this plane, so you need to go back. To so cue another frantic message from Caroline <laughs> that basically so read guys. like, yeah, they're not letting us in. So uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. So we had a... And, um, yeah. We were very, very afraid because uh, last year when we tried to get here the first time, the embassy was very, very slow at, um, mm. at uh, uh, what do you call it? At, uh, application process. Yeah. Application. Yeah. Um, so we were like, okay, guess we'll just stay in Denmark for a month. Yeah. So we ended just up like emotionally prepare yourself for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It was and, and, and it wasn't Benjamin's birthday, man. Everything. So. <laughs> oh, but you're yeah. here now. We're here now. Yeah, and you got a dog. Is, we uh, are very happy. Yeah. We, yeah. Yes. Tell us about the dog. dog. Tell us about Melvin. So his name um, is Melvin, as you just said. We have wanted a dog for <laughs> He is. He's so, a rescue. His name is. He's pr- approximately one year, and um, he's. Approximately a Dachshund and Schnauzer mix. We, Lots of approximations. Because the problem <laughs> yeah, is, you know, he was a stray, so they don't really know exactly how old he is or what yeah. exactly he is. But he, well, he, you can tell the Dachshund, that's pretty easy. And he's probably Schnauzer for the other half. So oh, Of course, he's a little Schnauzer. And he's, he's got, he yeah. looks like a gentleman. Yeah. yeah he's a beard. very small dog yeah. and they, they say he won't grow. So he's like, he's, he's what's called a toy dog. Like that's yeah. below small. That high roll, Benjamin, was just in- incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Your eyes rolled like to the moon and back. <laughs> yeah, it's not good for his uh, self-image to own a toy dog. Oh well, I but, think uh, Melvin is great. If you ever start an Instagram account for Melvin, you should call it approximately Melvin because of all of the approximations surrounding yeah. his age they and could, origin. They couldn't tell us much, but uh, yeah, he's he's very friendly and very cute. And sometimes That's a pain, awesome. but he's he's very cute. I so, can't wait to yeah. meet him. Yeah. You're going to get to know him so well. Yeah. All right. Well, for some context, if anyone is joining into the podcast now, um, Armor on the Air is a podcast run by members of a student organization called Armor. Makes sense, right? Armor stands for Antimicrobial Resistance. Mis- <laughs> Resistance. <laughs> okay, Shane, do do what you need to do with I'm that. I'm going to do a lot of slip of tongues in this one. I feel it's like I normal. always stumble. This is, yeah. It's a casual conversational yeah. podcast. We're only human. This is none of that NPR storytelling, writing script n- nonsense. No, this is all off the dome. Anyway, ARMOR, it stands for Antimicrobial Resistance Mediation Outreach. So what we do is we try to educate you, the public, about how to use antibiotics more sustainably because the more that we use antibiotics and the more inefficiently and irresponsibly we use antibiotics, which is, is it is happening, we are not using them properly, um, bacteria start to become immune to their effects. So if you catch a infection that can no longer respond to antibiotics. There's no backup plan. If your immune system can't handle it, you just die, which is unfortunate. So we're trying to change that, <laughs> trying to buy ourselves a little guess more I'll time. Die. Guess I'll die. Um, we just need more time to come up with better treatment ideas. Scientists like me, other people in the organization, um, and other researchers all over the world are all trying to work to solve this problem. So we're just trying to buy them a little bit more time by educating you. And so to that end, we host this podcast to tell you all about antimicrobial resistance. We talk about microbiology here, and then we have amazing guests like Benjamin, um, who can tell us about um, 
microbiology, chemistry, and life, in this case, on other planets. So I wanted to make a segue with, like, rolling your eyes to the moon and back. Like, now we're in space. Let's stop. But it the moment was lost. So anyway, Benjamin, tell us a little more about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. I, I am a faithful, here. faithful listener to this podcast. Yay! I am a, I'm a big fan. So I'm one of your five. Maybe there are six people. <laughs> and I know my... Most of my family, I, I keep telling them to listen in because there's a lot of uh, very interesting information to be gained from your podcast, I think. Well, thank and you. I've learned a lot. So, yeah. Uh, so about myself, uh, I am a chemist by training. Uh, what I would describe myself as someone who does physical chemistry. So it's sort of a mix between physics and chemistry, but with a chemistry background. So biology is not really what I do. But I do find it very interesting, and I feel like maybe we can do some nice uh, interplay here with, with your yeah. background and my background. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like biology is just applied physics and chemistry. Yes. So yeah. the, the connection These things is totally there. melt together a lot, I mm -hmm. feel like. So uh, I have a PhD in uh, physical chemistry, uh, which focused mainly on the Venusian atmosphere. So Venus, the second planet from the sun our twin sister planet oh, uh and i got that in the fall of 2019 uh that phd and now i'm a postdoc here in in boulder uh doing not i'm not working on venus now i am still following the field and i'm still sort of discussing and listening in and reading stuff uh regarding venus because it's been a big part of my life since i started working on this i actually started during undergrad to get interested and actually uh, do some research on this. Um, so cool. So I, I've been in the Venus uh, mindset for about <laughs> since 20... It's like the cult of Venus. <laughs> yeah, since 2016. It's it Until recently, it's been a fairly small research community, but I've been following it, and I think it's, it's sin since 2015, maybe, uh, that I've worked on that and then ending here in 2019 and now i'm doing something that's not directly applicable to venus necessarily but you know it you know you can always find segues in your research mm -hmm. to maybe apply it to some somewhere else um yeah so that's that's sort of my background dr franson nice. benjamin <laughs> benjamin I, so for context listeners the reason why we call benjamin benjamin is actually because our producer Shane made a joke about my partner, which he affectionately referred to as my broken man because he had a broken leg at the time. And we tried to come up with one for Caroline. And I don't know what ideas we threw around, but we, we realized there's a beautiful pun with, with Benjamin. So there's my broken man and there's Benjamin. Yeah. That's it. That's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel we, like we're not thinking too deeply about these things. We're just having a good time. Before we actually get into the the gritty thing about the whole thing about Venus, I mm. want to do a callback to 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 some of your my favorite episodes. Yes, on the wait, podcast. that'd be great. Yes, <laughs> and I want to clear. For, I have I have two points that I want to I want to make, and I want to clear one thing. I want to clear up because uh, in one of the episodes, actually one of my favorite episodes about Yersinia pestis or the plague, yes. uh, Caroline did did make a point about me she talked about me and and my genetics but she got it slightly <laughs> wrong uh, so i just want to i just want to clarify well we are people of science yes. so of course we need to correct our yeah mistakes. absolutely so i'm just this is this is not a i'm not not a slight to caroline at all uh i i would i would just like to clarify that so if if the dear listener recalls they talked about um genetics and how our genetics has effect like uh, the plague has affected our genetics a lot of people's genetics and Caroline talked about I have a plague gene and that is true uh, she confused it with I have another uh, this plague gene I have codes for a recessive uh, illness so if you have more than one gene for it um, you will get you will get what is called hemochromatosis which is Latin for iron overload and that means iron will accumulate in your body and damage your organs I only have one gene for this so I don't have the illness but yeah, he's like hetero -sarcastic. yeah and you can have this in more than one position so it, it's not like zero one or two codes for mm. it you can have multiple places where it's mutated i see and have the same effect so i have one code for this this is not a gene that will i think caroline said it will kill you when you're five years old if you have both genes that's a different gene i have i have two recessive uh 
genetic diseases, which I don't suffer from them. But if you know, if I were to give uh, to get a kid which had two copies, that would that would not be so great. The, right. So if Caroline has it, and you two decide to have a child, yeah. then that child. But I don't. I have like a very good. Yeah. I remember that was part of the conversation, yeah. right? That Caroline's <laughs> genetics are just like vastly superior. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm Benjamin is. I think Benjamin in general is more healthy than I am. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have the type one diabetes. Um, no. <laughs> but so so what? So why would why would iron overload? Why would like damaging your organs with too much iron in your body be good for for the plague? Like why would why is that a plague survivor gene? And the reason is, as far as I can tell from my from my reading mm-hmm. of the subject, uh, that the the bubonic plague uh, needs iron to to sort of reproduce and spread quickly mm-hmm. uh, iron specifically in your gut mm-hmm. uh, and your intestines mm-hmm. and this iron overload gene does uh, make makes you very effective at absorbing iron from your diet from your food and in your gut and in your intestines i think mostly in the intestines so that that makes your own body outcompete the the plague for iron resources is which really is cool. sort of a bottleneck for the iron sorry the bottleneck for the plague uh mm-hmm. to grow in your body so you will have yeah. you'll have a milder time with this disease and that's why right, this you're is you're weakening a, the bacteria right yeah you're essentially limiting its mm-hmm. growth in a critical growth stage it will still yeah. grow you'll still get sick and you will still get very sick and you can still die from it um but you will have a easier time than your friends who do not have this gene um, Indeed. So, so, so like microbiologically, of... we've touched on this before, but bacteria really, really, really need iron to survive. So much so that almost every single bacteria, if it lives in a human host most of the time, w- it has genes to hoard iron. Like it has little compartments inside the cell where it just stores iron for a rainy day. And so if you really put pressure on a bacteria's iron acquisition or iron storage process, they just are super weak and that sounds like exactly what your body is doing benjamin yeah yeah and if you have one gene coding for this you'll still have some effect from it it's not mm-hmm. a zero or a hundred percent scenario where you need both genes to get a, like a lot of iron so i still i still am a little bit more efficient than other people in uh, getting iron into my system so i will still if i get the plague i would still have an easier time than than say caroline for instance uh do you know if this works on other bacteria because they all I, need iron don't know how's uh, your immune system it's okay i think <laughs> not particularly i will say that usually when i'm dying. sick i'm sick for a very short time i will feel mm. it and get very sick but I, I i i feel like when i get the flu it's like a two-day thing maybe a one-day mm-hmm. thing so I, I feel like my immune system is very fast um mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know that's just my my own little opinion yeah and and what was your second point well, well, I just want to finish up on this. So, so and mm-hmm. th- for this reason, this is the most uh, common genetic disease in the world. This iron oh, overload interesting. because of the plague. Because it was selected for artificial. Selected for. <laughs> selected for. Uh, <laughs> at an extreme rate. <laughs> what happened, Caroline? I think he. He peed yeah. again. Aww. Melvin! <laughs> Wait, say that again! Melvin. <laughs> Sorry, what? It just sounds super Danish when you say Melvin. Mel- Melvin. Oh, Melvin. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, the enunciation. We'll give you a second to clean that up, Caroline. I had a friend who put a little bell by the door and trained her dog to, like, whack the bell every time he had to pee. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because right before you let them out, you ring the bell yourself, and then they like make the connection between open the door with ringing the bell, mm. and then they can ring the cool. bell. Yeah, usually my family dogs all, always would just bark at the doors until we let them out. Yeah, it works too. It does. It yeah. does. But then barking is like a non-specific. Like they could be barking if someone's in the house. Yeah, but usually they would bark like by the door, and if I see. Yeah. So it was usually pretty easy to tell. If they wanted to be let out or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm back. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We can just take out my audio and Caroline's audio. Let Benjamin finish explaining. So I don't think we need to repeat anything, right? 
Yeah, so this genetic disease is, is actually the most common as far as I know in the world because mm -hmm. we selected so incredibly hard for it when like Europe was under the plague. Um, yeah, and, and one other thing about this is that iron, so as you may know, we need we have iron in our blood. So one mm -hmm. thing that that actually is quite curious is that the the old medieval school of bloodletting actually works on this disease. <gasps> Literally, this oh, is actually... Oh, that's so cool! <laughs> this actually would have you uh, get better if you had iron overload. So those plague doctors are just like, yes, you see? You see, yeah. we are the best, we are the science. If you had a significant yes. infectious disease, of course it wouldn't help. But of course not. specifically for this, donating blood is still the modern tool tool to control this or or maybe eating a, a iron-restricted diet. Yeah, but then if they happen to have like an anemic patient and they're just like, ah, oh, well, she probably like yeah, saved yeah. or something and the gods do not look <laughs> favorably upon her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my so gosh, that, what an absolute mess. The other thing was, was even, mess. the other thing I wanted to touch on was just, uh, not not even scientific or anything, it was just, uh, I remember you talked about having long roots, and, and the like the dentist, like Dana, ha having long roots yes. in your teeth. And I was just, uh, I just found that funny, because, and you were like, being told that, oh, that's pretty cool, and, and that's healthy, and such. I have, I've been told, I have long roots too. So high five hey, on that. What's yeah. Up? But but like cool. the the dentist told me a different thing. They were actually I had a dental assistant who was just annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> and she was yeah, so she was annoyed and the reason she was annoyed was that she she was imaging my teeth and like mm -hmm. she wanted to get the whole thing and their mm -hmm. imaging equipment could not contain my teeth. Because I had so, I guess such long roots. I guess it helps that I'm roots. like a really small person, so like I've got the big roots, but <laughs> yeah. it averages Relatively. out to like a normal adult mouth. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yours is probably just like gigantic. Apparently, so she was she was just kind of annoyed because she had to take twice the images to capture my <laughs> my teeth, my massive teeth, and so. like <laughs> stitch them together in Photoshop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There we go. So that I just felt so like funny. that was a funny sort of coincidence. Yeah. That's so, it's so cool to hear a listener like resonate with yeah. a personal experience of mine. That's very validating. Yeah. Actually, maybe this is a good point to mention that I my my wisdom teeth are officially gone. Everybody, hey, they congrats. anesthetized me. I got them out, and that was also part of why we took such a long break because I was healing for like two or three weeks, and I, I could, I I could, I just wouldn't have a good time. So we just decided to not. Yeah. yeah. But with that, with the amendments, I actually have an, uh, a quick announcement. Um, we are no longer posting every single week. We are now posting every other week. That is all. Um, we are all <laughs> students. Posting every week was kind of intense, um, especially for myself and Shane, because we're also juggling our PhD work on top of this. So this will give us a breather and we can give you higher quality episodes um, with better research, with more information, cooler guests. Um, if if this is ruining your life and you are heartbroken that I we're am. only posting every other Benjamin, no! <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. We will see what we can do. <laughs> um, but from here on out, we're going to post every other week. And with that, I want to segue into Benjamin's conversations here with I want to ask Benjamin to tell the story. Benjamin, I, I should stop talking to you like you're not here. Benjamin, please tell the story <laughs> yes. of, um, like, there were several months ago where everyone got super excited thinking that there was life on Venus. What does that actually mean from someone who studies Venusian chemistry? Um, someone who really understands sort of the processes going on there, and then we can help link it back to how life developed on Earth. Yeah, so let's let's start with what happened and why did yes. everyone just start start talking about Venus like crazy? Because Venus has yes. been out of the public eye for a while, I think. Um, so what happened is here in the fall of 2020, I don't remember exactly the date, but it was in the fall here. Uh, some a, a team of scientists discovered phosphine on Venus in a uh, unexpectedly high amount up in the atmosphere. So phosphine is this little small molecule. Uh, mm -hmm. with a phosphorus in the middle and then three hydrogens. This is mm -hmm. an extremely deadly molecule to humans and, oh. and life in general. Uh, why? Do you know why? I don't exactly. So that's why I'm not really a biochemist. I, I just know that like if you work with phosphines and similar uh, compounds, uh, I know we had in, in the laboratory in, in Denmark, we had a, a trimethylphosphine, which like we had to be extremely careful 
because this is extremely deadly in even very small mm -hmm. amounts. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so phosphine is this tiny little molecule, very deadly. Uh, but the thing about phosphine, which these scientists discovered, first of all, the whole Venus community, we, we didn't really know or expect there to be a lot of phosphine. And the reason is that phosphine is sort of hard to make uh, naturally without biology involved. And this is the whole rage, actually. This is the entire I reason, because phosphine has been proposed as a as a molecule that you can look for if you're looking for life, because it is a byproduct of some um, uh, biological beings, that's living so beings. That's so ironic that it's a byproduct of living yeah. things, but it also kills yes. us. But I guess that's like the waste argument, right? Like it is a the waste. Things yeah. that we get rid of are we get rid of them because they would be dangerous to hold on to. So on Earth it's tied to life the the existence of mm. a significant amount of phosphines is tied to life like no question uh you can produce it in small amounts uh a biologically abiotically whatever the mm -hmm. word is like without life involved you can yeah. you can produce it but the amounts they found on venus was unexpectedly high and mm. we could not explain that uh we had no idea and so this, the implication being that something had to live there the implication all well, of this waste product so i'm yeah that's that's the conclusion that people were led to i will say that but that's incorrect right <laughs> well here's the thing though Benjamin. like you, <laughs> we don't know that's uh -huh. the problem so so what we do know is there are much more there's much more phosphine than we imagined um mm -hmm. but our the limit of, of our imagination is is still you know we're just at the shore of what we can can explore and, and figure out and this this could mean this could come from a bunch of sources we have never considered uh it could be a, a non-biological source and it could be a biological mm -hmm. source we don't know so that's the thing though this is this is sort of wide open topic where does this phosphine come from and well then also we're assuming that life on other planets had to have developed the same way it did here which i think is kind of a really bold claim to make. So what you're touching us on there is the n equals one problem. We only have yeah. observed life on one planet in the universe, and that's our own, so far. Mm -hmm. uh, so we don't know how life typically looks like because the only we only have one case. We can't really. Mm -hmm. There's not really any sample size. If you do one, take one sample one time somewhere uh, in any science, you're sort of you're a bad scientist, right? Uh, the problem is you can't really. Yeah. currently you can't really do more samples like where do you want to sample we don't know where there's life in the universe if any place uh or if our definition of life even works on yeah. other planets and i like my party trick is freaking people out with my really broad definition of what constitutes life mm -hmm. and so i'll convince them that like life is the resistance to entropy and entropy is basically like disorder and randomness and chaos so i will even make the argument that like the crystalline structures that we see in rocks and minerals are our life because they are resisting the random chaotic disorder that would happen otherwise. And, you know, we're not considering that maybe the gas clouds on Jupiter can be considered life because it just doesn't fit our exactly. very specific N equals one definition yes. of life on Earth. Yeah. So what people have been talking about in Venus case, in this phosphine case, is that it would be life sort of as we know it on Earth. It would be mm -hmm. a microbiology, uh, maybe bacteria-like, which produces a waste product of phosphine. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I feel like we need to sort of dial back and talk about like what what's going on on Venus. Uh, Venus is a very hostile planet, honestly. So before we we uh, seriously started measuring stuff on Venus, we just sort of looked at it through a telescope from Earth. People actually thought that the clouds they could see on Venus were just water, just Venus was the like oceans. was the wettest planet in the entire solar system. It was just full of water. All the clouds were just water. We know now that that's not the case. There's there is water. There's not a lot of water, but there is water. But it's mainly sulfuric acid. At least the top layer. Oh we can see. no! Yeah, and sulfuric acid is a very strong acid and mm -hmm. very hostile to let's say uh, bigger biological beings like well life as we know it. Right? Life as because we know it. Yeah. Well, extremophiles <laughs> can survive in exactly. highly acidic environments. But, you know, and, and the other thing is that the surface of Venus has a sterilizing 880 degrees Fahrenheit or 470 degrees Celsius at the surface. Uh, that could even add. be enough to get rid of sporulating bacteria. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's scorching. And the, the, another thing to add is that the heat transfer is really, really fast. 
because there's mm-hmm. 93 bars of pressure at the surface. So, so like, wait, is that a lot or a little? So at Earth, at the surface, there's one bar. So it's a crushing oh. 93 bar. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. So it's and the heat transfer is super fast. Like you know, if you if you go out in a cold weather uh, in the mm-hmm. air. You don't cool down as fast as if you go into a cold water, for instance. Mm-hmm. And the same thing here, since there's so much pressure at the surface, heat transfers fast. So it's it's kind of hard to stay cool. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and the Venus landers that the Russians sent in the 70s, they they landed and recorded some some stuff at the surface, but they sort of uh, broke down within hours. That makes sense. Yeah, because um, it's because it just fried the electronics completely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, so Venus so, is, is pretty hostile, and, and like most of the atmosphere is just CO2, and then some, mm-hmm. some nitrogen, uh, and then we have trace amounts of, of uh, like on the parts per million uh, scale mm-hmm. of sulfur dioxide, and we have mm-hmm. sulfuric acid, we have some water, uh, we have uh, some of the same things that we have on Earth, actually. Um, but it is really hostile. What happens then is that if you go up in altitude above the surface, mm-hmm. You hit a you hit a point around fifty five kilometers above the surface. Where that's really high. It is really high, but that's like not enough for a mountain. <laughs> yeah, the mountains are not that high on Venus. Okay. Not at exactly. not even close. Um, <laughs> so so you can't really stand on solid ground there. But that's where the pressure is the same as on Earth surface, and mm. the temperature is similar. So you have sort of an Earth like environment way up in the clouds. This is where the top around where the top cloud layer is so you have a lot mm-hmm. of aerosols clouds particles and that stuff so there and this is also where all the interesting photochemistry happens and this is also where the phosphine is oh in this range that is so cool <laughs> yeah so hold on could it possibly be conceived that venus is like maybe once upon a time many many billions of years ago it looked like earth and then global warming happened or some cascading warming effect that ended up contributing to an accumulation of really toxic you are chemicals. more right than you even know dana <laughs> so so here's what it what another thing uh i'm i am going to make the case for life even though i don't believe we've seen life yet but i'm i'm just gonna i'm just gonna add all this mounting evidence and i'm just gonna tell you that a few billion years ago, the sun was dimmer. It it didn't put out as uh-huh. much, uh, as many rays, as much energy as it does now, around 25% less. Um, and that puts Venus in in the Goldilocks zone, which... Oh, and, where so, Earth is currently in the Goldilocks zone. So, yeah. Uh, so, so if, if the listeners don't know, from the fable Goldilocks, um, mm-hmm. the, the girl... Uh, needs sort of all the things to be right so like mm-hmm. i think the the um, porridge is too hot and one porridge mm-hmm. is too cold and then this porridge is just right and this bed is mm-hmm. too too hard and this bed, bed is too soft and this bed is too is just right so the goldilocks zone would be where the conditions for life are just right uh and venus was in that zone uh two billion years ago roughly mm-hmm. two three billion years ago and would have had probably similar conditions that we have here on Earth now. Um, Earth was also just sort of on the edge of the cold end of the Goldilocks zone, and we. I see. And and as far, I don't now my memory is sort of uh, letting me down, but I I think we also have evidence of life that at that time on Earth, so mm-hmm. we sort of do know that st- stuff existed there. But so on Venus, we would have had something that sort of looks like an Earth environment is currently. So so that and and another thing is that Venus, the planet Venus, is made from almost exactly the same material in the same amounts as Earth is, and has mm-hmm. almost the same gravity, almost the same size, uh, just a little bit closer to the Sun. So it really. So then, why is everyone going nuts about Mars and why sim- how Mars is so similar to Earth? Well, Mars is not as similar to Earth as Venus is. Oh, that's interesting. Mars is way easier to study, and Mars could also have harbored life, uh, Earth-like life as we know it. And it's also, mm-hmm. looking at its pro- probable evolution, you know, it could also have had life uh, like on Earth happen. So so mm-hmm. definitely Mars is also a very interesting target, but it's, it's not similar to Earth uh, in the way that Venus is. Venus is 
like almost identical. That's why we call it the that twin sister. Oh, the twin sister. Yeah, I get it. Because it's it's like an identical twin almost. If you if you look at it, then uh, how it's mm-hmm. made and and all things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so like this is this is one thing that sort of you could have had similar evolution uh, as we had here on Earth, that mm-hmm. life uh, was created. Life some uh, not created. Sorry life happened we don't know how it happened but you know well we have a theory so the microbiological theory of how life started on earth um it started with hostile conditions right which which lines up with a lot of what you're saying that you really in the really early early stages of life on earth i can't i couldn't tell you the exact elements that were necessary but there were like five really key elements like knowing what we know now carbon was probably there Mm -hmm. oxygen hydrogen nitrogen probably those these are on venus too these are all on there venus is also a geologically active body still oh so like the magnetosphere is still uh geologically so as in volcanoes active volcanoes oh yeah which also is necessary so we needed we need we had like really crazy temperature fluctuations we had volcanoes we had lightning and we had water. So they were like, it was stormy. It was like the whole earth was like this. It was super stormy, super hot, super intense conditions. And the theory about what happened, and we have been able to replicate this in a lab setting using electricity and using like, you know, tumbling and, and, and motion, we have been able to generate exactly this theory of life. And that's why it's so accepted. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that these elements came together and in a Frankenstein style, when they were zapped with electricity, they started forming these little cohesive bubbles. And the bubbles didn't do anything, they didn't reproduce, but they were bubbles that were separated from the medium in which they were floating. And so this is like the earliest stage of a membrane. And that membrane is is now like what's on the outside of our cells and what's sort of keeping everything together and allowing stuff to come in and stuff to come out in a controlled manner. And so the theory then is like we started as these little bubbles, innocuous little bubbles, and then these bubbles started like merging and then they started blooping apart. And over time, they don't really know how this happened, but like the little bloop moving apart, they started making sure that their components were like separated evenly and you like we this is such a long time span that humans cannot even conceive of this but life as we know it on earth started this way and we hope we you know the, the theory is that these little bubbles then started turning into what we now know as single-celled bacterial organisms and then there's even you know the theory for when it went from bacteria to a eukaryotic cell or like what we know as the animal cell we think this happened when one bacteria cell engulfed another one and found out that they work really well together. And then they, every time they divided, both of them divided at the same time and just split the resources evenly. So then that's like, you know, the organelles, the little mini cells within our cells that perform specific functions. So Benjamin, how does this fit into the Venus story? Well, I think uh, in many ways, since Venus was just similar to Earth uh, and, and, you know, geologically active with volcanoes and stuff absolutely mm-hmm. could have had the same conditions uh that earth had when life happened mm-hmm. so so yeah this is this is definitely possible question is mm. if it like if it happened we don't know that's one of the things you don't uh-huh. really know about origin of life is how rare is it is it is it yeah. so rare that it's almost impossible to have on the scale of like the the universe uh, the time uh, that universe has existed and just just happened on earth or is it something that happens everywhere uh, and given how hostile venus is it would have like eliminated all evidence of organic life as we know it at least you it you can't really go down easily and study if there's any sort of imprint uh, anywhere there's or no like fossils or <laughs> We, I mean, maybe buried like way down below the surface, but you can't really, mm-hmm. you know, it's so hostile to go there. So even if there is this evidence, Venus is just extremely hard to study. So that's, it, it really hides its secrets. Uh, and that's, that's why maybe Mars has been more of a target because Mars is the return on the scientific return from like going there with missions and landers has been way bigger than going to Venus. Mm-hmm. So like we could, all the evidence could be there for, for like, right. For, for like a human-like ape uh, having lived on Venus and, and like being buried on the ground. But, you know, it might have just disappeared because it just, it's just so hostile. Or we, it's preserved, but we can't go there at the current mm-hmm. moment. 
unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so given your theory, do you think, like only speculating, do you think that life on Venus would look like early life on Earth? Like, would it still be a single little blob? So, so if, let's say, if there is life on Venus now, mm-hmm. uh, I think it would have to be microscopic, maybe like a bacteria mm-hmm. or something. I am not convinced that there is life on Venus, despite, you know, the phosphine discovery, which is still baffling us. I will say I read the paper, uh, phosphine uh, paper, and the science is solid. I am pretty sure they've got what they say they've got. It seems mm-hmm. like they did all their due diligence and stuff. So, uh, like, the phosphine, I'm, I'm pretty convinced is there. The question is, why? Uh, yeah. It could also be yeah. chemi- chemistry that that unknown chemistry and I, I need to add that there's a lot of chemistry going on that we haven't explored still so it's mm-hmm. a definite possibility that we just haven't haven't looked at this kind of reaction yet because maybe it, it hasn't really happened on earth but because venus is different the atmosphere is different it might happen there at a scale where it produces a big amount of phosphine mm-hmm. i will say there's there is other uh things we don't know enough about on venus to sort of assign or like make a case for life. For instance, one other molecule that we know is on Venus and we've known for a while is is called carbonyl sulfide. Mm-hmm. So CO2, you know, that's carbon in the middle, two oxygens on each side. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put a sulfur instead of one of the oxygens, you have carbonyl sulfide. This mm-hmm. is also fairly difficult to make without biology. And on Earth, it's tied to one volcanoes and two biology. So like we have a lot of that on venus too we know mm-hmm. those volcanoes but we also have volcanoes on. and venus. we have a lot of sulfur chemistry going on we have a lot of co2 and therefore also carbon monoxide and all this mm-hmm. stuff could probably react to make ocs at, at a at the amount that we see on venus it is still pretty difficult to make naturally without life but mm-hmm. you know that's that's just one thing and it, and it is suggested by astrobiologists that this could also be sort of one uh, it could come from life on venus there's also the aerosols there. We have something that's called the mode three particles, which are the big particles. These are, so you know, like a particle like in the clouds. Clouds mm-hmm. are sort of made of all these small particles, droplets and stuff. These mode three particles are not exactly, a lot of them are not exactly round. They're kind of odd and, and we don't know why. <laughs> uh, and this, I like my, my knowledge about this is, is fairly shallow, but this is another sort of, we don't really know and could this be like life yeah. that we're seeing but don't know it you know interesting um interesting. and it's it's very possible it's something else i will say that mm-hmm. um another thing that i've worked on myself specifically is that we have an unknown uv absorber uh sim- something absorbs uv in a certain range of the spectrum mm-hmm. and we have not yet come to an agreement in the community what is causing <laughs> this um, I have come up, I've worked on uh, with some other uh, good scientists to uh, suggest uh, some molecules that could absorb and could be mm-hmm. produced uh, on Venus in quantities that could um, explain this. But we still need more, we need more observations um, that determine how much of the precursors are on Venus to actually know if our theory about this absorber is true. And some right. people point out that since we, and we've known about this unknown absorber since the 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. And lots of different um, solutions have been proposed and we haven't really, the community hasn't reached a consensus. So one thing that people have suggested is that this could be life photolysis or photo, you know, uh, photochemistry mm-hmm. or something. Life absorbs this light and feeds off of it. Uh, and we just don't know. That is crazy. So we have like okay. we have all these small we don't really know, but I feel yeah. like one thing I feel like is that we should really be careful because life. If you think about life, uh, just just life that you haven't really defined yet, it mm-hmm. could basically do anything. It's sort yeah. of the god of the gaps for for mm-hmm. like problems on a on a different planet where the atmosphere mm-hmm. is doing weird stuff and oh there's all these compounds that we don't really know why are there, but we also really haven't figured out the entire chemistry going on there so i will yeah, say that definitely. you know it's it's sort of it's up for debate and mm-hmm. yeah but i think there's a lot of cool things and cool problems to look at uh, on venus yeah um, totally i have a question that has just been nagging at me this whole time yeah 
So if you found Earth-like conditions and the phosphine 55 kilometers from the surface, what does that mean about how life could look on V? Does that mean that there's like little flying aerosolated bacteria that are 55 kilometers in the atmosphere? That would be my best guess. If if we assumed mm. life was there, that would be my best guess. That we have some bacteria that, that floats uh, just above the clouds, maybe feed off of the sun. Because that's yeah. where the sunlight hits and, you know, does, does, does photochemistry, uh, poops out uh, phosphine and maybe other stuff. I don't know. Um, that is so cool. One thing that's an issue, though, is that it, it would have to be able to survive going to the surface and coming back up. Why? Because so what happens on Venus is that and happens also on Earth. We have this is called Hadley cells. So air circulates and mm. it wells up from from the surface around the equator uh, and goes up. So the air, air is drifting upwards and then it sort of mm -hmm. moves poleward towards the north or the south pole. And then it descends down to the surface again. So it sort of circulates like that. I see. And since the surface is super hot, you would have to have a type of life that either, I don't know, somehow travels against the wind mm -hmm. or um, can survive the trip down below. So sort of so like a hibernation schedule, uh, I would <gasps> say. Like a sporulating bacteria that like knows to sporulate. Only Maybe it, it makes like surface. a biofilm to protect itself. Well, That's know. crazy. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And I read, I recently read a uh, paper where they suggested that if life exists like a mi microbe on Venus uh, in this area, it would have to do this and, and like secrete a shield or something like that. It would have to somehow be able to, to go down, dip below the cloud layer, come back up. And then you know feed so off nice. of the sun and and all the there's a lot of interesting chemicals uh, in this mm -hmm. earth-like range um, so so definitely something could happen there uh, that could keep it alive and then you know go into hibernation go down uh, to the hot part and then come back up mm -hmm. so yeah so earth life on earth is carbon based so most of our biology is based on the atom carbon yes and like linking it together and connecting it to a bunch of other things is there a possibility that life on Venus could be sulfur-based because of how much sulfur there is in the atmosphere? Yeah, that's a that's anybody's guess, I would say. Um, there is more carbon in the atmosphere on Venus than there is sulfur. Because mm, most of the atmosphere on Venus is made of CO2. That's the dominant. Mm -hmm. That's 96.5% of the atmosphere. It's CO2. So... You have all the CO2 you need if you can just fixate it and, you know, remove the oxygens and make carbon things out of it. I would say that I would expect, if it's Earth-like, to involve sulfur. Absolutely, mm -hmm. I would. Because there is a lot of sulfur. That, right, that's it would sure. have to evolve with that. Yeah, it would have to evolve in an environment, at least, where there's a lot of sulfur available. Sulfur can do a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, it's very flexible in, in what chemistry it can do. Um, mm -hmm. It's very good at making single bonds, while carbon could do more than uh, a single bond to to other molecules. But right. yeah, I, I think we also have sulfur in our our own biology, human biology, or like Earth biology. Sulfur mm -hmm. is a staple uh, of biology on Earth. So I would imagine that if life existed on Venus, at least in a sense that that looks like an Earth life, that it would incorporate sulfur to a high degree. Uh, but I but like Earth life is carbon-based so i would assume that carbon is part of the equation mm -hmm. and there is carbon mm -hmm. available so it's it's definitely something that that is possible in okay. that regard yeah benjamin thank you so much for such a cool discussion about venus life thank you thank you for having me so awesome to have you here did you have any last things you wanted to touch on before we before we break for the day well i know i've been making you know, the case sort of for life on Venus and maybe yeah. unintentional because I'm a chemist, I'm not a biologist. Uh, mm -hmm. I will say that to to sort of round it off that I I would need to see the life before I believe the life is there. Because <laughs> you, you sort of need, as a scientist, you know, sort of need to be very skeptical. And in this case, I find it just as likely or maybe even likelier that we just are missing some key component to, mm -hmm. to how the chemistry is going on. So until we have sort of the microscope on the on the life forms there i don't i don't think they're there and i don't think we should go, go crazy and be like oh aliens at venus just yet but i will say if we find it on venus and once we do i will go a little bit crazy i probably would too yeah. 
as a sci-fi geek myself. Yeah. Even this conversation has made me a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate that. That's a good thing. Yeah. That is a compliment to your efforts and your research. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap up for the day. Benjamin, big thank you again. I um, appreciate you being we here. We need something, Dana. We're not completely done. I, I, I got to record the closeout. I know, but Benjamin, um, what is your favorite bacteria? Do you <laughs> My favorite bacteria as a non-bacteria person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Staphylococcus, maybe, because that's, that's both a staph and a coccus, isn't it? Yep. And it's everywhere. It, 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 <laughs> the, the commensal relationship it has with us is just so vast. We have it all over. I think you missed the joke, Dana. <laughs> yeah, no, no, the joke doesn't really work in English. Oh, Sorry. really? Uh, Can you explain it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, because Sorry. we, we um, classify bacteria into the shapes they're in. Mm-hmm. A carcass is like round one, and then um, um, in Danish we Steph. say stout, which means like rot, um, because it's like the long one. I think bas- bacillus is Yeah, we right. say bacillus out here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so the yeah. joke doesn't even so work. That's okay. <laughs> we all got to learn a piece of, of, of Danish. Sorry. Of Danish no, I would, I would say, I, I want to change my answer. I want to say Yersinia okay. pestis, the plague, because <gasps> that is part of my genetics. Uh, the, the not... Yersinia pestis, but you know, the the effect is part of like me. Uh, the yeah, effect on society. Yeah, I mean, is you have a, a genetic a genetic relationship with this bacteria. Yep, exactly. Has shaped you. Yeah, even though you know fathers. it tortures it tortures <laughs> fleas and kills humans, you know, I still gotta say that's my favorite. You and your ancestors have a really tight bond with Yersinia pestis. Yes, that's true. I'm so honored that we we made you like a bacteria and learn about your genetics. That's <laughs> <Thank> you. awesome. <laughs> All right, now for the real closeout. We put out podcasts every week to teach you all about the societal implications of microbiology and health. Keep up with us wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with us on social media at CU underscore armor. We're on Twitter and Instagram, and it's a lot of fun. We also meet every Tuesday at 2.30 Mountain Daylight Time to do this, but with no filter. You are welcome to join us. You can email us or DM us um, for the Zoom link. Our email is armor at colorado.edu. If your community has unique needs, we encourage you to start your own chapter of Armor. To learn more, visit our website at arclabs.org forward slash armor. And all of these links and all of this information will also be in the episode description. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm looking forward to starting up Armor again and chatting more with Caroline and having more awesome guests like Benjamin. Thank you so So, much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Yeah, I had a great time. I had a great time too. And that's it. Armor out. Have a great week, everybody.